Welcome to Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, where we talk about the latest in financial literacy education. I'm Doretta Thompson, Financial Literacy Leader for Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. We provide no-cost programs and free online resources that help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. This episode is part of our special series of podcasts focusing on the financial and mental health aspects of COVID-19. Our guests shed light on the current situation and share insights on navigating these uncharted waters. You can find our podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you have any questions, you can get in touch with us at financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. Joining me today from beautiful St. John's, Newfoundland is Larry Short, Portfolio Manager and Executive Director at Hollis Wealth. Larry's authored two books, the latest of which is, in short, Successful Investing During Turbulent Times. Larry, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. My pleasure. We hear constantly that COVID-19 is unprecedented, and indeed it is in many ways, but there have been past events that have rocked stock markets. What does history teach us about the financial impacts of catastrophic events? Whenever we've had an event such as this in the past, and I know that many people say we've never had an event like this, there is a pattern with which governments react. The first step is usually various governments around the world cut interest rates. And and in cutting interest rates, they lower the cost of money for businesses and for individuals to enable their financing to be able to be deployed to react to the overall catastrophe. The second step is usually government spending, and that means increased government spending. And in some cases, that can be quite dramatic. The most recent of the catastrophic events was in 2008, going into 2009, when basically the Western banking system failed, and we had the crash and the Great Recession. And during that period of time, interest rates were cut quite dramatically, and trillions of dollars were invested by the various governments around the world, bailing out the various banks. Prior to that, many people may remember the events of 9-11, when there was an attack on uh, the U.S., when the towers in New York were attacked with uh, two planes crashing into them. And then that was actually followed by a prolonged recession that went into 2002 and 2003. In both cases, people used the words unprecedented. It was a shock to the system. It was a shock to people individually. And in particular, in 2008, 2009, many people around the world lost their homes, uh, had their mortgages go into default. So we have seen catastrophic events occur in recent times, and we've seen a repeat of the same sort of steps by various governments around the world where interest rates were cut and dramatic amounts of money were introduced into the economy in order to help heal the economy. So what are some of the similarities that we're seeing this time specifically with this market downturn? And are there any differences that we're experiencing now with COVID-19? The similarities have been, again, the government reactions. Many governments around the world have cut interest rates quite dramatically. And uh, as an example, in the U.S., the interest rates have 
been cut to near zero in Canada. They've been cut down to 0.25 of 1% by the Canadian Central Bank, Bank of Canada. In addition to that, $2 trillion has been injected into the U.S. market by government spending there. And that is a contrast to what happened in 2008. In 2008, going into 2009, the U.S. government effectively spent a trillion dollars during that period of time in order to enable a recovery to arise. And it took six to eight months for the first of that money to start to be employed or deployed by the U.S. government into uh, the markets, whereas this time it's been a matter of weeks from the downturn that we saw the first interest rate cuts and the first implementation of a significant amount of money into an injection into the economy by the U.S. government. In Canada, the number is still increasing, but the estimate right now is that there's roughly $85 billion Canadian that have been injected to the Canadian economy in order to help heal. Why do you think people are feeling this sense of fear regarding their finances through COVID-19? So one of the reasons that a stock market crash worries people is because in times past, the stock market has been an indicator of the economy. That is, when the stock market went down, the economy then rolled over and started to fail and unemployment increased. And that's really what causes the people to worry is that they look at their savings, their investments, and then they say, well, what about my job? What about, what about my career? What about the house that I just bought? What about uh, my kids? And what about my retirement? People have seen significant decreases, obviously, in their investments. What could they do right now? What do you recommend as some specific actions that people can take during this downturn? There are four options for what one can do during this downturn. The first one is just stay the course. That is, you don't sell or put any new money into your investments. The second choice is that you sell now and reinvest in one year. That is, that you take your money out and put it into one side, and then a year from now, you put your money back in. The third choice is stay invested and add a lump sum, such as you know about $10,000 to the same investments that you currently have. And the fourth choice is you stay invested, but you add $100 a month to the same investments. What we found is over time that if you did the third option, you tend to have more money after one year than if you did anything else that the worst of all circumstances is actually option two, which is to sell and reinvest in one year. And that's actually what the vast majority of people tend to do. Although we live in a society that preaches financial investments being that one should buy low and sell high, what tends to really happen is many people buy high and sell low. And that is when we encounter a catastrophe like we've gone through, people tend to panic and pull their money out. It sounds really difficult to do, but the idea of buying during a panic such as this is actually best for your economic health in the long run, because in all cases, no one is an average investor. We recommend that you sit down with your professional financial advisor and ask what is the best option for you given your age and your particular circumstances. Can you go over that emotional cycle that it, people tend to experience when investing and specifically what that cycle looks like during a downturn? Yes. 
The cycle of emotion is how people feel about their investing. So in many cases, when we're having conversations with clients or individuals at a social function, everyone will tend to say that they are quite willing to buy low and they understand that they must sell high. What we actually have found is that in most cases, people buy when stock markets are up and they tend to sell when stock markets decline. And the reason for that is because the emotion, the, how they feel about their money and their investments actually overrides their logic centers. That is, we know what we should do, but when people cannot sleep at night, when they're worried, when the headlines in the newspaper or on, in the media are showing terrible news, that's when they tend to react out of fear and pull their money out in order to preserve what they have. So there is a very definitive cycle that we see over time, particularly with novice investors. The investors who actually make the most money tend to be what are called contrarian investors. That is, when everything looks great, they tend to sell. And when everything looks horrible, they tend to buy. And it's really easy to say that that's what you would do, but it's really difficult to do. So just to give you an idea, if we go back to, say, 2007, so those of you who remember the year 2007, things were really booming in Canada. We had a stock market that was at all-time highs. We had the price of oil in Canada at $145 US a barrel. We had talk about how the world was running out of oil, so that was certainly going to boost the Canadian economy quite strongly. We had housing prices at near all-time highs, and we had unemployment near all-time lows. So an individual looking at circumstances like that would often say, you know what, I'm going to invest in the stock market because things look really, really good. Right after that was when we had the massive stock market crash where the market fell 55% inside of six months. And I remember quite distinctly, and this is what I've uh, documented in my book talking about successful investing during turbulent times, that headlines back in the summer of 2008 were absolutely glorious, and six months later, they were absolutely horrific. So what we found then was that many people who had never invested before invested during the spring and summer of 2008 and sold after the stock market had fallen 30 40 55%. So that cycle of emotion is then that when things are going up, people tend to be very enthusiastic about investing, and they tend to be really happy with their uh, results, and that is actually the highest point of risk. Often, as, as has happened in 2008, when the market started to fall, they got a little bit worried, then the market fell a lot, then they got uh, more worried and were, in many cases, went into denial, and by the time it got down to 45 or 50%, people were in that hopelessness panic category, completely discouraged, and then just gave up and in many cases sold. And that is actually the single best time that an investor can buy is when the average investor is has given up and is basically doesn't want to talk about their investments and are terrified of headlines. So this cycle of emotion that we see people go through, it's the real lesson that we hope to impart two individuals when it comes to financial literacy is that one has to invest when not only 
are you worried about the market? But everybody is. You have to invest best when the markets are lower or certainly not sell when markets have fallen. And you have to actually be very cautious after the markets have risen strongly. So, Larry, what are the key things that Canadians should know about investing at this time? The most important thing that the average Canadian should be aware of is that the source of information for investments is more often provided by people who are paid as salespeople rather than as independent advisors in Canada. That is, there is a duty of care for salespeople to put individuals into appropriate investments. But sometimes those appropriate investments are geared towards what is most beneficial for the company that they are employed with or for themselves individually rather than for the individual investor. And all I'm getting at here is that you have to be very aware that this causes some of the information coming to you to be very biased. So in order to protect yourself, one can do a couple of things. The first step is to find someone who is truly working for you, and that involves a, an interview process. We have on our website a list of nine questions that one should ask their uh, potential investment advisor so that you can clearly get to understand whether or not they are a salesperson working for their company or an independent investment advisor that would work for you. And it doesn't mean you know, that all individuals uh, have to be perfectly pure of heart, but you must understand that whether or not the individual that is providing you with investment advice may be swayed by things such as sales bonuses or a quota that they have to reach. So we'll provide the list of those nine questions that you should interview even your current investment advisor to understand how they are paid and what motivates them to help you. So that's kind of piece one. The second piece is once that you have found that investment advisor that you can trust is getting a financial plan together. So the vast majority of Canadians do not have a financial plan. And that's kind of like trying to go as fast as you can in your car and you have no idea what the destination is that you're headed towards. So once that one does up a financial plan, you can then allocate effectively pots of money. That is, certain amounts of money then will be dedicated to things such as your long-term retirement plans. Other money may be towards educating your children. Others may be towards down payment on a house. In each of those pots, though, those pots have a different investment horizon. So the down payment on the house would be short term. And as a consequence, that will drive what type of investments that you should be investing that money in. Whereas long term investing should be where you put the money for retirement, unless your retirement is pending within the next two to three years. So by having a plan, then it kind of causes the investments to drop out of the plan. That is by saying, here is what this money is used for, that that determines what that money should be invested in. And in the absence of that, you're pretty much flying blind, uh, just saying, I want to accumulate money as much as I can with not a clear understanding of what the purpose of the money is and therefore how much risk you can tolerate. Larry, can you tell us a little more about understanding risk around your investments? As part of a review that you would have either 
with a robo-advisor or a personal investment advisor, one of the key elements that you have to determine is how much risk you can take when it comes to investing. That often is seen to be an academic exercise. That is, you go into a bank brokerage or certified financial planner, or you do it online and, and you say oh, you want to invest, and they'll ask you to do a survey. And that survey asks you, how much downside risk can you take? In most cases, people do this uh, investing during a period of time of relative calm. So it's kind of like trying to buy a house in an earthquake-prone area when there hasn't been an earthquake in a while. People will tend to buy a house based on other feelings uh, or other attributes than necessarily the risk element. Or they'll treat the risk element as something that is a necessary evil. It's a piece of paperwork I've got to get through. But it's actually one of the most important steps that you can take when it comes to investing is to determine how much risk you can take. Basically, this is called a risk return profile. And what it indicates is how much stocks and bonds you should be invested in based on how much risk that you can take. So a key part of a step for you today to consider is to write down what is my risk tolerance and has it changed during this particular downturn? Has it said to you, no, I really can't sleep with uh, seeing those headlines. I am worried about not only my, my job, but I'm worried about my savings and, I, and, and or I don't really understand what I'm invested in. This pandemic has different effects on people depending on their stage of life. Can you elaborate on that a little? What does this mean for those retiring? Really, once you start to save any money at all, right up until the date of retirement, you actually wish that you had a stock market that fell. Now, I need to repeat that because some of you may say, well, that doesn't make any sense, but think about it. If you're investing during your time when you are putting money away, you want to buy cheaper and cheaper stocks along the way so that by the time that you get to retirement, you have good value companies that are paying nice dividends, that are paying income uh, to you in some form. And the time that you'd really like to have your investments rise is during the retirement because then that'll let you spend as much money as you possibly can. Because quite frankly, you're not drawing your money or you're not supposed to be during the various parts of your career before you actually get retirement. Obviously, as you get into retirement, then somebody who's just entered retirement, they are the people who are the most concerned. And those who are in retirement would be most concerned as well, because they then worry about that they have enough money to last. How long does it typically take for markets to recover? We do know from experience that markets tend to move back up an average of about 33% over a 12-month period after markets have hit at the bottom. So again, the logic part is that getting through this downturn, we will see markets move uh, back up. And again, the reason why the markets move back up is that interest rates are cut and governments spend an awful lot of money. Is there anything that can reassure Canadians that we're going to be okay once we get out of this? And is there anything that we can learn from history to reassure us further? Right now, for what we're seeing is a stronger response from the governments than we've ever seen before. So that should help to some degree to alleviate your concern that are we going to get through this. And in addition to that, even though for some of you, this may be the first time you've really gone to a downturn and recognizing that it's different this time because we're home. We're home and effectively locked away and we didn't have to do that before. 
So we will get through this, but just from the pure economic point of view, we've had a stronger response from the governments in terms of interest rate cuts and stimulus on an already relatively strong economy that portends, that suggests, that forecasts that when we get through this thing, the economy will turn stronger, at least initially, until such time as we have to work out the rest of these particular kinks that we're going through. And this should give you a little bit of comfort. I know that, uh, again, it's difficult for people to take their worry and take logic and apply it to the worry to make the worry disappear. But that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to show you that we have been through horrible experiences before, that we, we never saw a G8 country go bankrupt until 1998. We had never seen two planes go into towers and the absolute wrenching feeling of, my gosh, is there no place safe in the world? If they can't defend New York, then terrorism can surround us easily. That when we were going through 2008 and the world economy had failed and bankrupt, many uh, countries had gone bankrupt in addition to the banks themselves had gone bankrupt. Well, what did that mean for the future and how long was the next recession, a potentially depression going to be? And as a consequence, by learning that we've seen these things before um, and we know how it feels, it means that even though we're still going through it and it does feel horrible, there is a way out of this and we will get through it. Winston Churchill said in the Second World War during the period of time that the the Allies were losing, which was basically from September of, of 1939 all the way through to about 1943, his statement was, when you're going through hell, keep going. So we have to figure out how we get through this period of time, being aware that our emotions are going to be strained during that time, but that there is a light and there is a process to get us through it. So, Larry, is there something, one thing that you've learned about yourself through this particular pandemic? Oh, great question. Possibly that I'm getting old. <laughs> that uh, it seems that the number of times, I guess, I've heard the phrase unprecedented in my career. This is my 32nd year in this part of my uh, life. That it's now almost precedented that I hear unprecedented so often there always seems to be some crisis that the stock markets are going through. And even in preparing for this podcast and for other presentations that we've done, I've actually sat down and listed out year by year what the worry was in the markets for 32 years. And there has never been a period of time when anyone has ever come out and said, do you know what? It's a great time to invest. There's nothing to ever worry about. We're all in the clear. So, I've concluded then that my job is to be a professional worrier. That is, I just have to find out how to deal with people's investments and do the worrying for them and try to find the best solution for them, despite the fact that in many cases their emotions are overriding their logic and in many cases preventing them from reaching their long-term goals by scaring them out of the market. Thank you so very much for doing this. And to our listeners, you can click through to CPA Canada Financial Literacy Resources at the description for this podcast on your podcast app. Please note, this is a recorded podcast. 
The information presented as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic is current as of the recording date. New and changing government restrictions and assistance programs may have come into effect since recording. Please seek additional professional advice or information before acting on any podcast information pertaining to COVID-19. This has been a special COVID-19 episode of Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, brought to you by Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Please rate and review us. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. In these uncertain times, be well, be kind, be safe. We are in this together. Thank you.